I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, dear listeners. My name is Nick Hart. This is the platform of Achtung Millwall. I want to welcome you to Oztung Millwall. From Sydney to the Swan River, from Van Diemen's Land to the shores of Darwin and the Great Northern Territories. This show is produced by Jimmy Webb in Perth and is dedicated to all Millwall fans who have made the trip to the Great Southern Continent, known by some as Terra Australis. Now, if you're living down under and interested in keeping in touch with fellow Millwall fans, please do get in touch with our Akdung email, akdungmillwall at gmail.com or via Twitter at akdungmillwall or indeed with Jimmy Direct. Uh, He's on Twitter at jimmfc, J-I-M-M-F-C. We hope you enjoy this series of shows and to finish, something I've always wanted to say, good day. Our final guest on the show is someone who isn't a Millwall supporter. Uh, and in fact, if you look at his Twitter feed, there's no secret that he's a, a Derby County supporter. But some of you may remember the name, as I'd like to introduce from the ABC here in Australia, Ned Hall, formerly from BBC Radio London. So, Ned, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Absolute pleasure. Uh, was, was that right? Wikipedia sometimes can be a bad thing, but... Uh... <laughs> No, 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 it's like fairly, fairly obvious. Yeah, as a as a Derby fan, and, and I, I think I was probably quite lucky actually in my time working in London that no one was too bothered about the fact that I think a lot of people knew I was a Derby fan there, but it, it wasn't quite as contentious, I suppose, as supporting one of the London teams. So I think it's always been something I've been able to uh, be uh, be honest about. Yeah. So someone someone contacted me to say that you're obviously now living in Sydney, and you during your time in BBC London covered. Millwall for for a, a period of time, so I thought it'd be nice to see from a an, almost an outsider's view on on your you know what it was like following I'll use the word following the Lions during that time uh, as well as other clubs and I always get told that that, that being a Millwall supporter is a unique experience. So as 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 a media and a journalist, did you find that as well that it's a unique club? I I, I think. I actually think it, it, it is, uh, generally compared to most of the other clubs. I think 
I think most of the clubs you find around London have got their own character, but I think there's something very different and very special about Millwall and Millwall fans as well in terms of their their loyalty to the club, I think, and, and possibly their sort of you know, rejection of all outsiders and that sort of you know, slightly more insular attitude that I think you find at most other clubs around London. I think if, you, if you're a Millwall fan, then you know, you're, you're locked in and uh, it's the sort of you know, the way of life with that. And a good example, actually, I, I used to do a lot of games with, um, with Kenny Sansom and um, Ken obviously played for, for Arsenal and, and Palace, but his family were all from, from Bermondsey. And I remember him going to one of the games, I think away at Gillingham, running, running into a load of lads he knew from growing up. And he got on with them really well. But he said he, he knew he couldn't say anything negative about Millwall, even though they might have been slagging the team off. He, he knew that he was in that position where he couldn't really be as critical as they were because people are still very protective of the club, uh, even when they've not been playing well. Did you, did you? I mean, this is quite interesting stuff because you know. Do you find with like with your co-commentators who are normally ex-professional players that they have to be careful of what they say because they're scared or not scared, but the, the, you know the, the repercussions could be could come and bite them a bit later on down the line. Or do you find that most co-commentators normally do speak their, their mind? I think most people when they're on air will speak their mind, and I think it's that balance about not being, you know overly critical and overly negative or at least saying why you're saying something though if someone's playing really badly you know you, you'll at least explain the, the reasoning behind it um but i, but I think that this certainly was i think you, you sort of want to be critical in the right way put it that way and not permanently negative about something and i think particularly with certain you know i, I think English football fans, and this is different if you're living in Australia, I think people are far more um, passionate about their teams and are far more likely to pull you up for it if you're critical um, in this day and age. To be fair as well, I, I was, you know, that was pre-Twitter and twi- pre um, a lot of the social media age mm. then as well. So people couldn't probably track you down quite as easily online to give you a mouthful uh, <laughs> over the keyboard uh, as they can do these days. So, so your, your, your covering of Millwall for BBC London started, what, around about the year 2000? Was, was it? Yeah. Do you think? Yeah, yeah. I, I joined. I joined BBC London uh, around that time then, and um, uh, and look, I, I think I joined at the tail end of when one of the football deals where they'd lost out on a lot of the Premier League clubs. So they'd invested heavily, I think, in a, a lot of the sides who weren't in the Premier League at that time and got good relationships with them. Uh, and so they'd been, they'd got a good relationship with with Millwall. And I think, um, yeah, over the years, various different community events and different people at the club. They'd always got on very well with them, and so I think that was one of the the, the good reasons why we uh, got on board with Millwall, and obviously getting promoted in that that two thousand two thousand and one season as well, going up around that time, yeah. and being such a good team. I think that was one of the things that really helped um, in terms of uh, getting a lot more people behind them, because I think Millwall games were always very exciting. It was a it's a really good team around then as well. I mean, when I was just when we talked about having a chat, and I was thinking. Oh, refresh my memory about the teams thinking I knew most of the players and literally it all came flooding back straight away what a what a good team and what exciting players there were in that era that 2000-2001 that season where as you say we, we won the, the, the old Division 2 you know and uh, yeah Mark McGee manager there and uh, that that was really when you had players like Tim Cahill that was probably at, almost at their peak there, and Neil Harris was banging goals in Stephen Reid, Paul I4. I mean it was, it was certainly a name a team that People remember Tony Warner in goal as well. Uh, a lot of people have said that that season was one of their favourite 
favourite seasons, you know, and and, and then to, to obviously go up into Division One, which the following year we nearly made it into the Premier League, if you remember, but we lost we lost out to Birmingham City in the uh, the playoffs. So yeah. it was certainly two yeah. two very good years. Um, I, and I think you've just gone through the players there. I think what was great about that side, and, and I think that's probably one of the the managerial highlights of, of Martin McGee's career as well. The, the football they were playing, the, the way they approached the game, uh, you know, the overall, I suppose, the, the balance that that side had with those name players there as well. You know, Tony Warner, great goalkeeper, um, you know, solid centre halves who basically were old fashioned centre halves and you know, the likes of you know, Dyche and Nethercott playing alongside for most of the time. Mentioned you know, Timmy Cahill, and, and there was the you know Neil Harris and you know, Claridge and Sadley when they were there. It's a really good team, really good team. And I, and I used to get a, a lot of enjoyment about going to watch them. Like they, they weren't a dull, grinding side that go out there that entertain and, and they had you know, good attacking footballers. So you know, the atmosphere in those days at the Den as well was, was superb. So it was a really, really nice period to have, uh, have been covering their games. So, so as, as going there as a, as a, as a journalist in, a, in your like professional career, capacity and obviously now is there a big difference between interaction between players and media then than there is now or I mean I read that it's a lot harder to even get a talk to a player these days so was it back then a lot easier and were players more open to to talking to you guys Mother's Day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Time to go and just 
sit down and talk to the players. I mean, it, again, it, it's maybe slightly different in Australia with a smaller league that's sort of crying out for you know a bit of um, publicity. Um, but the, you know, even examples I've had from this year of going out to clubs in Sydney, and I know the people at the clubs pretty well, um, but somehow you're almost kept at your distance from from the players, which is a, is a bit of a shame because again they they're all fine if you actually get down to talk to them, and put a microphone under them. They're all generally pretty happy to have a chat. Yeah, and and you mentioned they're like living in Sydney and. You also do a podcast. The, the, do you still the fighting talk or the boot the boot room, isn't it? Sorry, on the ABC Grandstand podcast. So, um, it, yes, it's it must be quite tough to do podcasts at the moment. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's very tough. I've been I've been locked up for the best part of three weeks since going away overseas, and my wife then coming back a week after me. So we've been homebound for that time. And um, my, my friend Chris Glassick, who's a Sunderland fan, um, he's um, he's been in work, but now on leave as well. So we've been we've been finding it a bit hard to actually get in a place where we can actually uh, record things properly. So um, we, we, we've we've had it on ice for a couple of weeks. And, yeah, it's pretty difficult to actually get anything done properly. These so, so when when you talk about the the, the football scene over in Sydney, um, is is that with Sydney FC and you know the and Western Sydney Wanderers in the A League, or do you go around looking at all the the, the NPL New South Wales NPL teams as well? Uh, Look, I, I, I do tend to, to just do the A League yeah. because of the fact that I suppose when you know uh, one of the things you have with with working in, in you know, sports media is you're generally working weekends anyway. So I don't tend to get a lot of other time away from that to go out and just uh, check out other games, which is a shame because it's a, it's a really vibrant scene, I think, yeah. below, you know, below the, the A-League level, which is something that people have, have struggled for over here because of the, you know, the, the ethnic background in a lot of these clubs that you've got, you know, your, your um, Serbian clubs, your Croatian clubs, your Greek clubs in Melbourne, that they tried to sort of move that away from the game. But I think they've, they've lost a lot of their you know, original uh, supporters and background. And these clubs are still very well supported and very strong all around the country. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's a shame they haven't really managed to capture that passion and get it into the A-League quite the same way. I mean, some of the Sydney derbies, going back a few years, were superb occasions. They were fantastic. They'd get huge crowds, great, mm. great atmosphere as well, noise all the way through them. But um, but yeah, they, they really need, to, I think, to sort of get that MPL sort of um, passion for the game where people are just there for the love of it rather than the, the, some of the stuff you get in the A-League now. Yeah, yeah, and it's the same over in Perth here. We've, we've got teams that are, you know... We've got like teams like Inglewood United that used to be called Inglewood Kiev, uh, yeah. Perth Perth Soccer Club used to be Perth Italia. So um, you know, again, the, the ethnic background of some of these clubs. But when you go to these places, it, it's still very strong and it's still good. And so everyone's really missing that live football Saturday afternoon, three o'clock, watching a game of some description. So yeah. um, A League then, what's uh, it's it's. Looks like it could be coming a bit a bit messy over the next few months now. Uh, with you know, obviously Perth Glory basically put all their players on notice, haven't they? Other teams have as well. The television deal, you know, yeah. looking looking very dubious. What what do you reckon yeah. on the A League future? pessimistic about it because I think I think there's bigger underlying problems in Australia with with the sporting landscape and everything else and I think 
Fox Sports, who are the, the major bankrollers of a lot of Australian sports for a long time now, financially, they're, they're really struggling. And they were struggling before the whole um, coronavirus uh, issue came up. Uh, and they were looking to cut back in so many areas. They cut back a lot of their football commentary staff as well and, and scaled back a lot going into this season. Um, so I think they were almost looking for a bit of a, a way out themselves. And I don't think they were giving the game an awful lot of support just the way they've been looking after the past few years and mm. the big difference in Australia compared to say in England and, and most of the European countries is football isn't the the dominant code in terms of what's shown on TV despite the fact that more people play it than, than any other sport it, it still struggles for airtime it yeah. struggles for, for a bit of um, space in the media so I, I honestly think it might do the game some good that somebody else may come in and I know everyone keeps looking to uh, Optus who are obviously a Pay, you know, pay TV channel they've got there which has got the Premier League on now that they might become the, the home of football they've done a really good job in their, their coverage of the Premier League the, the actual shows they do the people they have on there have it on there and on a terrestrial channel I, I think it could actually work out for the better in, in the long run mm. um, I think it's going to be a, a big spell of difficulty but I think they might have to like rely on overseas and, uh, and and digging into the coffers of FIFA a little bit to help them out in the short term. But I, I honestly think it's a good chance for them to start again and, and maybe even look at putting the second division in place because at the moment with just 11 professional teams um, in, in this country and then like one more to come in from next season, whenever that actually is, I, I actually think that they might have the opportunity to restructure the game without Fox Sports being the only funder of the competition. So look, I, I'm maybe being um, sort of looking at it a bit more optimistically than I should be, but I'm, I'm quite confident that they can come out of this and, and actually restructure the game and uh, and be okay with it long run. And, and so let's go back to the English game now and obviously living over here, big time differences. How, how do you keep up to date with, with football in the UK and, you know, your Derby County as well? It, it's It's been really hard. And in fact, over over this year, I've watched fewer games than I've watched for uh, for a long, long time. Mostly because of how badly we've been doing. But um, <laughs> you know, in in the past, you can generally get online and, and stream them. They've been yeah. on um, you know through the you know, pay TV subscriptions and get it on the laptop basically and sit and watch them on there, which is generally what I've always had to do. But a lot of the time then as well, you know, you're not getting every single game being streamed on that all the time. And so um, my, my my wife understands to a degree, but uh, <laughs> not quite to the the full extent so I'm not I'm not watching them all the time but luckily I've got um very um yeah passionate supporting family back at home as well so I yeah. generally find that as soon as I'm awake that I've got floods of messages filling me on everything if I'm not set up to watch a match so uh yeah it, it's always tricky with that with that time difference because you've got to sort of make the call to say do I want to be getting up at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> um, to, to sit and watch a game where I'm not particularly fancying our chances so um yeah and this year's been tough yeah, yeah, we, we, I've actually been quite happy with this year, but last the last couple of years for me has been, uh, oh, I'll press the red button and watch it at some point, and then you wake up in the morning, see the score, and you go, oh, I'll delete it, I won't even bother. <laughs> that's, that's exactly it, that's exactly it. Uh, yeah, it's been tricky, and I think, obviously, the, the interesting thing is that, um, uh, you know, I think, well, I don't think we're too far off um, playing Millwall again at some point this year, and then we've done pretty uh, poorly against Millwall this season. I know you came and beat us at Derby earlier on, which was... Um, you know, disappointed for us, but um, I think you're doing a lot better than we have been doing this year, and so it's it's good to see Millwall at the uh, in the right half of the table this season. Yeah, it certainly makes a change, and it is nice. Not it's it's nice knowing. I mean, even I still work out are we safe from relegation? And I think most Millwall supporters, that's the first thing they work out is are we going down? You know, have we got enough points? 
So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so uh, while you were at BBC London and covering Millwall, did, did you have any like memorable moments? Um, you know, watching watching the Lions play. I, I remember that I mean, the cup tie with Liverpool. I think was a was a really um, a, in, enjoyable night as well. I know Liverpool came down there, and it was a it was a, a very sort of fiery night down there at the Den. Uh, but that that one really sticks in my mind because just because of the the absolutely packed crowd mm. that it was at, at that time, just the the real sort of um, the, the noise all around the stadium. That was that was a really big night there. I, I remember and really enjoyed uh, just the atmosphere in in the stadium at that time. That one was great. I've got another one that always jumps into my mind. And it's, I think it's because of being out here in Australia, of, uh, of watching, um, um, I'm sure Kevin Musket was there as well um, yeah. at one stage. And an away game at Watford, where um, he, for, for no reason whatsoever, um, stamped on somebody's leg, just to, like randomly off the ball and got sent off and basically lost the game. For Millwall, that that would always really stands out in my mind of just thinking, I don't know why he did it. And I think Millwall were in a, a good situation at the time. They'd gone there, I think, early on in the season, and um, uh, and he got sent off, but virtually on the stroke of half time. And again, they're actually looking in pretty good shape. In and it, I can't remember who it was. He just stamped on someone's leg, <laughs> just running out of the penalty area. He was down on the floor and uh, and got a red card, which um, he was a, a very frustrating player in that in that sense as well. But yeah, th- that that's one that always jumps into my mind as being uh, sort of a, a moment of madness from Kevin Musket, not the only one in his career. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that was great. And I think I also remember going down and doing a game at Cardiff where they, they won um, won by a few goals one December. Um, and that, that was a, a, a good night down there as well. Really good performance um, when, when Dennis Wise was in the side and they played really, really well that night. And I just, just remember that one standing out as well. It's just been such a, a good performance and thinking that that season, which I think would have been 2003-2004 I thought I thought there were a good chance that year of, uh, of going on and doing something as well with uh, with the side that they had at that time Well I think what that happened that year was obviously we got to the cup final so I think that probably put the uh, the mockers on the promotion charge because we were doing quite well and then obviously you know we were recording this on the 5th of April and yesterday was the anniversary of us beating Sunderland at Old Trafford in the semi-final so I think I think the, the cup final was probably the reason why we didn't go on that year and where we sh- we probably should have done. Um, I, th- I, think, I think that was it. I think after the Sunderland game, there weren't many wins in the league after that. Well, I think the form no, I'm, I'm actually just looking at the uh, history book now that season and the 24th of March, we beat Wimbledon away 1-0, which would have been at the hockey stadium up in Milton Keynes. <laughs> and then we never won another game until we beat Bradford 1-0 in the very last game of the season. So... Yeah, the the form going into the cup final was never going to be one to scare Man United, I don't think. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it's funny because I mean that season, you know, it's one of those odd ones, isn't it? Like it, it was great to go and experience that, you know, all the way through to the cup final, and you know, especially as a, as a non Premier League side to go on a run like yeah. that. But on the other side of it, when you look at it and think, oh, you know. That could have been a promotion-winning side that year. It was a really good team, I think. And um, yeah, to, to to miss out and, and the way they did with the form dropping away, running into the final was just a bit of a, a bit of a blow. Yeah, and so so and, and also then, and this is always asked. You know, I always wonder this: was there anything that someone told you when you was covering the club that you went all oh, and and you weren't allowed to to mention in broadcasting? But it always, you know, comes. Do you know what I mean? Was there anything that you? that someone said, oh, did you know that? And you, really? Do you know what? I, I don't think there was as such a doubt at, uh, doubt at Millwall. And I, I used to um, 
you know, we used to get on very well with the guys who ran the, the club um, website commentary as well. Yeah, uh, which would have been yeah, you know standing the guys there, yeah. and so yeah, we, we used to sort of um, you know, I think we had a good idea then at the time of what, what, what the lay of the land in and around the club and about what you could and couldn't say <laughs> at those times. So I think I don't think I ever had any any big dramas with that uh, around that period of time. So no, I think um, yeah, it was always a pretty um, for me. I think and because we were BBC London, we were always very welcomed down there and I think we knew sort of uh, you know, our, our places being able to be positive about the club all the time as well even when they're playing against other London teams yeah yeah I'm going to put you on the spot here but while watching the Lions did, did, did you have the one player that you go well two questions the one player that you go wow he's probably one of the best players I've seen wearing a mule shirt and on the flip side the one player that you think why on earth is he playing <laughs> well look in, in terms of the, the, the players obviously like you know having seen Tim Cahill there obviously he would stand out yeah. however um, I, I used to love the fact of him and Eiffel and, and Reed. Um, I, I think Paul Eiffel, I think we got to see him when he was in some of his his, his better days there yeah. I think he was a, he was a fantastic player for the club at that time and I, I really enjoyed going to watch him because you always thought he was going to go and do something uh, in a match when you were uh, when you were watching and I'm trying to think about anybody else who um they really didn't do a lot. I, I'm trying to think, maybe, um, I remember Bob Peters was there for a while, <laughs> the big Belgian striker who, again, was one of those players who was really frustrating because he was, he was massive and he never really used to seem to, to, to put himself about enough, which always always drives me mad. But you see a great big centre forward. You can't hit the ball. can't hit the ball, doesn't really get stuck into people, doesn't shove them around. I remember him being very frustrating. When you had other guys who had been playing up front around that time who would be half his size but would throw themselves yeah. around and make the most of it. Um, yeah, I remember he was. He, he did used to drive me a bit mad, to be honest, watching him play. I, I can assure you that Bob Peters, that's not the only nomination he's had in various <laughs> interviews. <laughs> <laughs> just just recently as well so but, uh, yeah no but it, it was good times though that early 2000 years until you know maybe maybe 2005 after the cup final it also went a little bit sour um you yeah. know with the i think money was that around the itv deal that broke out down as well around then and was that earlier yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it was probably a little bit. I think, but I think you're right. I think it was always sort of uh, on on. Well, Millwall were never, even with you know, through Bafitas there at the time. I, I don't, you know, they were never going to be big spenders. And no. I think there was a few of the people came in and came over the top of them, maybe, and did throw a bit of money around. Whereas Millwall had always been producing good players and picking up some good deals along the way as well. So I think that was probably. And it's it's hard to keep up there all the time when you you're doing that. Like you've got to, every purchase you make has got to be a good one. Um, and if you have a few bad ones, all of a sudden your team's a lot weaker. So, yeah, I think that was probably um, hard to sustain over that period of time. Yeah, and obviously not being one of the biggest clubs in London, then the financials come, in, come into it, really. And uh, yeah. But I, I always say we have seven years of famine and seven years of feast. So it's never yes. a, it's never usually a dull moment to walk in Millwall, so, nah. even from this far away. So. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. so, Ned, look. Just uh, thanks for taking time out in your uh, in your schedule. And I know yesterday you were saying you were doing reruns of cricket commentaries on the radio and, yep. uh, and things like that. And it was good to get an England win on a on a radio for a change. And uh, 
yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, like, yeah, it, it's, it's not deliberate scheduling, really, but there's been a lot of uh, there's been a Australian defeats played at the moment, and there might have been if I wasn't scheduling them. But uh, yeah, as long as, as long as it's England wins as well, there'll be there'll be a few more of those to come. Good. Hopefully, in the glad, next couple of weeks. Glad to hear it. I'll listen. I'll listen out even more for them. So again, thanks. Thanks for your time. Thanks. It's been really great talking to to a professional. I can stop shaking now as the amateur of this conversation and. Uh... <laughs> Thanks a lot, mate, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely, Jim. Yeah, take care. Cheers. Thanks, Ned. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.